Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com, the show that's dedicated to saving you money on buying and owning a vehicle. Now, here's your host, Rick Popley. Welcome to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, where each week we help you make smarter choices about buying and owning a vehicle and save money. Hello, everyone. I'm Rick Popley, your host and proprietor. Glad you can join us. When you buy a car, you start out talking to a salesperson, and it is usually with that person that you reach an agreement on the price of the vehicle you're buying. But that is not the end of the road for you or your car purchase. At most dealerships, the salesperson will then turn you over to a finance manager in the Finance and Insurance Department, or F&I, office. That's where you will sign the contract for the vehicle you're buying and arrange a loan if you need one. At many dealerships, that's also where the real selling begins. You could face a barrage of sales pitches for credit life insurance, gap insurance, tire and wheel insurance, an extended warranty, a paint protection package, a burglar alarm, a prepaid service and maintenance plan, and more. Do you need all that stuff? Do you need to buy it at the same time you buy the car? How can you protect yourself from paying too much? We will answer those and other questions today when we navigate the F&I office with Philip Reed, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Philip will walk you through the process from arranging a loan to how to prepare for the face-to-face meeting with the F&I manager and what you should avoid. But before we bring Philip Reed onto the show, here is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Another batch of safety recalls involving millions of vehicles was announced this week, this time by Toyota. Toyota announced five separate recalls involving 2.3 million vehicles in North America and 6.4 million globally for a variety of reasons. Among the issues are faulty airbags and problems with steering columns, seat rails, and windshield wipers. Toyota's recalls followed two recent ones by General Motors involving 2.6 million cars with faulty ignition switches. And Nissan recently recalled 1 million vehicles to fix problems with airbags. Why are so many vehicles being recalled these days? One reason is that automakers are more likely to initiate recalls than they used to be because not recalling vehicles could lead to worse consequences. For example... GMs have become a punching bag over the ignition switches because it knew some were faulty for 10 years before it announced a recall. GM faces ongoing investigations by the U.S. Justice Department, Congress, and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration about why it waited so long. GM this week put two engineers who worked on the ignition switches on paid leave as part of an internal investigation. Toyota recently paid a $1.2 billion fine, $1.2 billion fine to settle a claim by the Justice Department that misled safety regulators and consumers about two recalls over un- unintended acceleration in Toyota vehicles. That was the largest fine ever involving auto safety violations. GM also could face fines over the faulty ignition switches in its vehicles. I have said several times in this show that all new and redesigned vehicles tend to have more problems 
so it often pays to wait until the second or third model year before you buy one. Turns out that Sergio Marchione, the CEO of Chrysler and Fiat, has a somewhat similar view. Chrysler delayed the launch of the 2014 Jeep Cherokee by two months to fix software issues with a new nine-speed automatic transmission, one of many new features on the Cherokee. Chrysler will use the same transmission on the 2015 Chrysler 200 sedan, and according to a report in trade publication Automotive News, Chrysler is still making changes to the software. Automotive News quoted Marchione as saying that the 9-speed automatic is the most complex transmission you can buy. He also said it has a number of wonderful attributes. One of the things that is not a wonderful attribute is the fact that it's new. All things that are new go through an evolution stage that makes them better over time. That was a direct quote from Sergio Marchione, CEO of Chrysler and Fiat, talking about Chrysler's new 9-speed automatic transmission. What he said could well apply to new parts and vehicles from other manufacturers as well. When it comes to buying new vehicles, better things come to those who wait. It's Read Your Owner's Manual Month here on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks. Last week, I implored you to check out your owner's manual to discover all the features that are on your vehicle and how to use them. After all, you paid for them, didn't you? This week's assignment, check out the safety information for your vehicle. This includes how much weight it can carry or tow, how many airbags it has, instructions for installing child seats, jump-starting your vehicle, changing a flat tire, and what electronic stability control does. If you're a parent of young children, a parent-to-be, or a grandparent, please read the safety information on where and how to install a child seat. Each vehicle is different, and there's too much at risk for you not to read this information. Elsewhere in your owner's manual, you will find how much weight your car can carry in passengers and or cargo. A lot of passenger vehicles today can only carry less than 1,000 pounds, even some SUVs. Same goes for towing. Your SUV might be able to tow only 2,000 pounds, maybe less. And with some passenger vehicles, you should not tow anything. It's in your owner's manual. If you get a flat tire, wouldn't it be nice to know where it's stored and how to where the spare is stored and how to safely jack up the car? You might be surprised to learn you don't even have a spare tire, only an inflator kit that might enable you to seal a punctured tire. Check it out before you have an emergency. Before you head out on a long vacation trip, you should check out the safety information in your owner's manual. And because April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month, it's a good time to do that now. The preceding announcement was brought to you as a public service by the Read Your Owner's Manual Foundation, dedicated to the proposition that when all else fails, you should read the instructions that came with your car. And that is this week's auto news you might be able to use. Because profit margins can be razor thin on some new cars, dealerships often make more money on the finance and insurance portion of the transaction than on the car itself. How do they make money in the F&I office? Every way they can. 
Dealers can mark up the interest rate on loans they arrange for customers. That's entirely legal. And they will try to sell you a potpourri of F&I products, extended warranties, all kinds of insurance policies, remote starters, paint protectors, fabric protectors, rust protectors, even nitrogen to fill your tires. The bad news is that all those extras that sound good at the time can add thousands of dollars to the cost of your vehicle. Here's the good news. Philip Reed, the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com, is on the phone with us today. He will help you navigate the F&I process and advise how you can make smarter decisions about all those options you'll face when you buy a vehicle. Philip has been with Edmunds.com for 14 years, and his first assignment was to work undercover as a car salesman to gather more insight into how dealerships operate. The story of that experience, Confessions of a Car Salesman, is available at Edmunds.com. He also wrote Confessions of a Finance Manager, based on the stories told by a former finance and insurance manager at car dealerships. That story also is on Edmunds. Philip has written many other consumer advice articles for Edmunds, and he also does a lot of car shopping because he is involved in purchasing vehicles for the Edmunds.com long-term test fleet. Welcome to the show, Phil. Good to be with you, Rick. Well, Phil, um, as I said, you know, many dealerships make more money in the F&I office than they do on the car they're selling. Do consumers focus too much on the price of the car and maybe not enough on the rest of the deal? Uh, without a doubt that that's the case, yeah. Um, people are so excited about the car, and the sales experience in most dealerships will keep them excited, you know, stressing just, uh, you know, the envy of your neighbor when you drive the, the car home, um, you know, what it's going to do to you socially and all those other things that people are not encouraged to focus on the other elements of the deal. And so they may feel that they got a good deal, they may, you know, really think that they got a good deal, and they may have gotten a good deal on the car, but in the big picture, they may not have. Uh, so you really need to hang on to the big picture um, the whole time that not only are you car shopping, but you really should do some uh, planning um, before you go near the dealership. I hear a lot of people say, Oh, yeah, well, you've got to do your homework. But the problem with that is people don't like doing homework, you know. Yeah. I, n- I know I never did. Uh, but I do like to tell people if you spend an hour or two planning before you go car shopping, you can easily save yourself between 1000 and $2,000 easily. How's that? How, and, and what would you be saving? Um, well, let's look at a typical car deal. You have the financing, which you mentioned before, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually kind of an invisible expense because most people don't really understand how the interest adds up over time. So the interest, uh, uh, the difference of uh, an inter- uh, of a percentage point mm-hmm. or or two over five years can can be several thousand dollars uh, pretty easily. Uh, so so we have the financing, we have the trade in the price that you're going to get for your trade-in. We have the uh, purchase price of the vehicle itself. And then we have all of the uh, F&I products, which you mentioned. So you have at least four areas, any one of which, if uh, the you know if you lose money in it, uh, you could pretty much offset any savings from mm-hmm. any of the other uh, parts. Right. So, so uh, I mean, I think most people do, they shop for the car, they shop the price of the car, 
But how can they prepare for the F&I experience? Yeah, well, the very first thing to do is understand, you know, where it fits into the process and what it is that they're dealing with. Um, the way that it's presented to most car buyers, and, you know, we have car buyers that may have bought a car before, but maybe it's been seven years, so um, they kind of forgot the process, the process at every dealership, uh, you know, has minor variations. So it's all new to them. However, um, the way that the finance and insurance process is introduced is, um, well, what happens is you, you go on a car shop, you take your test drive, you get to know your car salesman, you negotiate with your car salesman, and perhaps a, a sales manager. And then there's this big moment where they say, okay, we have a deal. You know, we're all done. All you mm-hmm. need to do is sign the contracts and you're out of here. So most people at this point breathe a sigh of relief and um, it's like, okay, it's, a, you know, just a, sort of a Pro forma, I'll go right. sign a couple the, of papers. The battle's oh, over. Right the battle's over, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, their guard is is down. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but then they go into the, to the F and I, and to some degree, you almost have to feel that the F and I may be certainly as important, maybe more important in some ways to you as a car buyer than what's come before that. Because uh, a number of things to keep in mind. First of all, you're going to be talking to um, somebody who has an ex- a lot of experience as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also taking the promises and and the estimates and and um, you know that that you've constructed in this deal. Now you're putting them into writing. Um, you're actually signing so, a contract. Y- yeah. Once it's in the contract and mm-hmm. once you sign it, you know there's no cooling off period. And if you want to return the car, it's very difficult. Um, and, you know, you should basically assume that you aren't going to be able to return the car unless there's any real stated um, return policy. You may have a return policy. Room, they will sell you, um, you described, I think, as a potpourri of, <laughs> of uh, products uh, that you're talking to somebody who has, has access to banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, you know, all of these things are very valuable to you. And they're crucial. So if you've been in the dealership for four hours and you're hungry and you had to F&I and your concentration's not good, you're not in the right frame of mind. Okay. Uh, Hold on here. Uh, uh, My concentration has just been broken by the fact (laughs) that the producer says we have to take a break. But when we come back, I'd like to continue the discussion about um, uh, once you get in the F&I office, what do you do? Stay with us. Welcome back to Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Here's Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today's topic is navigating the F&I office, how to save money in the finance and insurance process of buying a new or used car. My guest today is Philip Reed, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Philip, before the, uh, the break, we were talking about um, when you go from talking to a salesperson to the F&I manager, who is not only an experienced uh, salesperson, but also probably one of the highest paid at the dealership. And um, uh, I think I saw somewhere recently that somewhere along the line of 80% of uh, new vehicle purchases are uh, financed with loans that people obtain through the dealerships. Uh, yes. Can you Can you get a better rate 
from a dealer than you can from a bank. Yes, you can. Um, now, the whole marketplace has become somewhat more competitive just over the last seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. But um, the way that it works, and not a lot of people know this, but I mean, the, the manufacturers, uh, you know, Ford and GM and uh, Chrysler, they own their own banks, and that, that bank is called the Captive Finance Company. And those banks are, are there only to do one thing, and that's to support the product, which mm-hmm. is, of course, vehicles. And in some cases, I mean, it's a big picture and there's a lot of moving pieces to it, but in some cases, of course, they can discount the uh, interest rate down to zero. Um, there's no bank that's going to do that, There's, right. you know, because there would be no place for them to make money. But, you know, with the uh, manufacturer, they make money on the vehicle, so that's why they do that. So the interest rates, you almost have to assume, if your credit is good, that you can get the best rate through the dealership. However, we do encourage people to look into um, um, pre-approved financing before you go. This is particularly important for people that are unsure what their credit is or mm-hmm. their credit is mid, mid-tier, mid what they call mid-tier, which has some dings on it. Okay, so uh, but but you were talking about the, uh, the manufacturer's-backed financing, but most car dealers... Also, I mean, car dealers always uh, have access to other lenders, you know, major banks, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, other creditors. Can yes. yeah, can the rates that a dealer can get, can they be lower than what you or I could get by walking into our own bank? Um, well, they have relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had a relationship with your bank and banker and you knew what to ask and who to go to and you had some leverage in terms of possibly withholding, um, you, you know, your business or going to another business, then maybe you could um, get as good a, good a rate. But the, the dealerships, I mean, they're pros at this. They do it all the time. So, uh, you know, chances are they could probably get a better rate than you. However... There's also credit unions, and there are also online lenders. Mm -hmm. And these are um, credit unions over the last um, seven or eight years have tried to move more aggressively into the automotive space. And, of course, online lenders, for example, um, uh, uh, Capital One Auto Finance is very good. Easy loan application. They give you immediate or 15-minute approval. And um, once you know that you've been approved at, we'll say, you know, 3.5% with a credit limit of $30,000, that's good information that will um, help you when you go into a car dealership. You know that, I mean, obviously they couldn't say, well, the best we can do now is 4.5, you know, so you've kind of capped it. And you can use it as a bargaining chip. I say, well, I mean, but dealers may be able to even beat that 3.5%, but they also are allowed to mark up the interest rate. So their first offer to you might be 5%, correct? Yes, unless they already know that you have in hand okay. pre-approved financing. How hard and is it pre- to get pre-approved? Do you actually have to have a specific car that you're going to buy, or how do you do that? Um, no, no, it's based on your your credit, hmm. um, your existing credit, and... Um, Generally, when you apply, you need to designate roughly what the vehicle price is that you're shopping for. And then they give you a window. In other words, because as most people know, you know, when you buy a car, the purchase price of the car, um, also uh, it doesn't include sales tax, which when you're looking at a $20,000 purchase is is pretty substantial, plus DMV fees and and other fees. So they will often say, you know, you okay, you're shopping for a car for $23,000, you're approved up to $30,000. Okay, and they'll and they'll give you an interest rate. So what you get then is a uh, is a check mm-hmm. with a credit limit on it, 
And most of these lenders are quite well known to people in dealerships. Um, and then you can come in and um, write a check for whatever the specific figure winds up being. So basically, the first step is shop for a loan before you go to a dealership, correct? Yeah, yeah, and and it doesn't take a long time. Um, in fact, uh, bankrate.com is a good place to go to to look at uh, current rates and also automotive lenders. Um, so, I mean, this is the kind of thing that you could do on your break at work or mm-hmm. even while you're working, you know. I, I don't like to advocate <laughs> that. And I never do that either. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> Mr. Edmonds is too. But uh, <laughs> but uh, do many people actually do that, you think? Shop for a loan oh, before they uh, go to a dealership? Um, well, hopefully the people reading our advice do. Yeah. But um, enough people, yeah. I mean, I think these days, first of all, we have access to good information, um, more so than we used to. Um, but I would have to say the majority of them don't. Um, mm. I'm rather staggered by the lack of preparation that people will sometimes um use before they go to a dealership. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, y- you know, you're driving by a car lot and you're on your way to go someplace and it's, it's like, hey, let's stop and, you know, see the new uh, Ford. Let's see what that, I've read about that. Let's see what the new Fusion looks like. You on the lot, next thing you know, you're taking a test drive and they're running the numbers and you're completely unprepared. So uh, now we do, I should got to kind of promote our, our, our thing. You know, we, we do have an app on iPhone and uh, um, smartphone app, hmm. which you can use to um, check pricing while you're on the car lot. And you can also request uh, quotes from other dealers. So um, it's not like the old days where once you were on a car lot, you were taken kind of off the market. <laughs> That's why they didn't want you to leave. They, yeah, they they'd grab your keys and wouldn't give them back to your car. Oh, or, boy. You know, yeah. keep, keep you there for hours. But uh, what are when when people uh, uh, do go looking for a car and they they kind of settle on the car they want, but now you're going yeah. towards the finance and insurance uh, part of it. What are some of the things that they should be aware of or watch out for? Yeah, well, first of all, um, you know the advice that you're going to be given by the finance manager. You know, sometimes it can be very good, very productive. Uh-huh. Um, they, they are experts and financial experts, but they also have a vested interest, which is, of course, they're commission-based. Right. And and, um, and so it's very important for them. Not only – it's actually, you know, to be kind of sympathetic to, the, to these guys. It's a fairly high-stress um, uh, position in the dealership because um, what's happened o- o- over time recently is that uh, a lot of the upfront cost of buying a car is a profit is given away. Um, by marking the car down so attractively that you buy it. So when it, when the deal comes to the F&I manager's desk, he sort of knows that the dealership is counting on him to put profit back into the deal. That's his um, job, isn't it? I mean, that's uh, he, he's not there to get you out the door in 40 minutes. He's there to make money, right? That that That's correct. Um, so you, you need to be very clear in your mind um, what you want. Now, I think probably the the main thing for most people when they um, come in there is do they want the extended warranty or not. And over the years, I've um, realized that the extended warranty is very important for many people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's this concept of peace of mind. I've never had it. I've given people <laughs> a peace of my mind. But, um, 
but uh, peace of mind is, is very important to people. They feel that that allows them to budget um, for their you know, for their monthly expenses, and mm-hmm. there won't be any unpleasant surprises. And it, there's a lot of value to the extended warranty. And but you, people need to be clear: it's an extended factory warranty. Um, we feel that third-party independent warranties don't have as much value, and they're not as convenience convenient. So the the convenience of the extended warranty is really that you know there are no unpleasant surprises. Plus, when you you don't have to make Make decisions like should I do this now or later? You know things like mm-hmm. that. Plus, when you go to pick up the car, uh, you don't have to go. You know, you just sign and, and go. You don't have to uh, make a payment. So there's a lot of things that are very attractive uh, to some people. Now, the only question is, uh, how do you know um, what a fair price is for that warranty? And that becomes complicated. How do you uh, do you find? I mean, uh, uh, let's let's look at it this way: is that if you uh, go to a dealer and they, they offer you an extended warranty. Let's say it's 2500 bucks. If you yeah. say okay, that's the end of the discussion. They're putting oh, it yeah. on, a, they're putting it on a contract. What happens if you say, let me think about it? And you do, yeah. you, you don't have to buy it at the same time you buy the car, right? No, you don't. Um, but you do have to buy it before the, almost all cars come with a three year, 36,000 right. mile, um, factory bumper to bumper warranty, which covers all of the, Everything except what they call wear items, you know, which would be tires, uh, windshield wipers and brakes and right. a couple of other things. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, the funny thing about extended warranties is, let's say you go to buy a new car today and they sell you an extended warranty. You're not going to be able to use that warranty for three entire years. Right. Um, so you do sometimes wonder why do people buy them at the time? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Um, if you're financing and you have a really good rate... Let's say you've got zero. You can put the warranty in there then. Then oh. you're, uh, you know, so that, that helps quite a bit. Plus, they will tell you, and I'm not quite sure it's really true or not, but you can get a better price. And then the third. On, on, the, on the extended warranty. Yes. Yeah, that's, but, but, but if you say, you know, let me just think about it, and you're the, you're the F&I manager, what are you going to do? Are you going to lower well, the you, price? Oh, definitely. Um, <laughs> okay, so next time yeah. I'll say that. Well, let me think yeah. about it. <laughs> oh, well, you know, let me think about it. It's going to get you a lower price about just about everything okay. uh, at, at, a, at a dealership. All right. Um, because well, it's all about, you know, making a sale today. Right. All right. That's a good place to take another break here. <laughs> and when we come back, we'll continue this discussion with Philip Reed of Edmunds.com on navigating the FNI process when buying a new or used vehicle. Now, more cars, trucks, and bucks on TalkZone.com with your host, Rick Popley. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we're talking about the finance and insurance aspect of buying a vehicle. The F&I office is where you close the deal, sign all the paperwork, and probably get pitched on a whole menu of extra-cost products. My guest is Philip Reed, the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. Phil is sharing information you can use to navigate the F&I office and not pay for things you don't really want or need or pay too much for them. If you have a question or comment for Phil, call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 
463-6748. Before the break, we were talking about uh, extended warranties or service contracts, and here's some information I pulled out of the National Automobile Dealers Association annual data book for the 2012 calendar year, and that is that 40% of new vehicles are sold with extended service contracts. And then uh, another little nugget is that F&I, finance and insurance, including service contracts, generated 40% of the gross profit at the average dealership. And I, uh, I also looked at the uh, 2013 financial statement for AutoNation, which is the largest dealership uh, group. They have 269 or 70, 270 stores nationally. Here's something I found really interesting, Phil. The um, new vehicle sales at AutoNation dealerships generated 57% of the revenue and 23% of the gross profit. Finance and insurance generated 3.8% of the revenue. That's less than 4%, but 24% of the gross profit. The per yeah. vehicle gross profit from F and I at AutoNation was one thousand three hundred and fifty five bucks per vehicle. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, big business. Yes, yes, it is. Well, but again, as I as I said, some of that's because they lost lost the profit on the front end. Right. And it's a little unfortunate too because um, the the car salesman that can be very knowledgeable and help you um, may not be getting the commission that he deserves. Um, you know, but they may be taking quite a bit of um, money in, in the F and I. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a sort of a sign of the times, I think, and particularly during the recession, when there were selling fewer cars, they, the F and I became even more important, along with, of course, the service bay, which is where they they that's how a lot of the dealerships stayed afloat during that right. time period. Which, yeah. uh, which I believe the uh, service parts and service is the uh, highest generator of um, uh, profit at AutoNation and most dealerships. Mm-hmm. So that's true. Um, now, before the break, you did say that you know we were talking about you know should you buy an extended warranty, and you said yeah there there are some good things about it, but you know uh, rather than take the first offer, you you said well maybe I'll think about it. What about all the other stuff they're going to pitch you on? All those other, you know, goodies like paint and fabric protection, tire and wheel insurance, things like that. Yeah, right. Well, let me just back up for a second. And um, a really good strategy, I don't know if uh, many people would be up for this, but it would save you quite a bit of money and give you some sort of confidence going into the dealership is, uh, let's say you're going to be going in to buy a car uh, tomorrow. You can call the uh, dealership, ask for the finance insurance manager and say, you know, I'm going to be closing a deal on a car tomorrow. And um, I'd like a heads up on, um, you know, what are the products that are going to be offered to me? Because I'd just like to kind of think it through. And, you know, that's a question that nobody can really uh, deny. Now, um, uh, this is kind of skipping back to the earlier thing about what is a fair price for an extended warranty? Well, in certain products it's very determ- that, that are difficult to determine a fair price, there's one way to kind of um, sort of squeeze out uh, a reasonable price, and that is to get competitive bids. So if you were going to be considering the extended warranty, you know, you could call the three, you know, dealerships of that brand in your city and just say, shopping for an extended warranty, give me a quote. 
And as long as you make it clear that it's competitive, they will probably go to a fairly low quote versus when you're you know, uh, in the F&I office, you've never considered it before. You, you, you know, um, you're negotiating blind. Right. So, the, so, so now getting back to your other question, the other products, you know, uh, because you're quite right that there, some of them can be quite a long list of things, and it's difficult because you've been through kind of an emotional experience buying the car, and now all of a sudden. Um, you know, you don't want to be that guy that walks away saying, well, I signed just to get it over with, which I've, I've heard many times <laughs> before. <laughs> That's never a good idea. So, yeah, the main things, of course, after the extended warranty is you may also have prepaid um, maintenance plans that could be sold to you. Um, again, you know, it's hard on the fly to say, is that a good deal or mm-hmm. not? A lot of them could be very convenient again um, for you. Also encourage you to come in. Um, you know, you don't have to budget. It's already paid for. Um, however, keep in mind that um, maintenance of vehicles is probably getting less and less. The cars they're making now are better and better, and the, there's less and less maintenance on them. Now we have um, a whole sort of a raft of um, anti-theft devices and plans and things. Um, these things, well, of course, most notably, there's LoJack. And LoJack is um, quite a technologically advanced. It's a transponder, transmitter inside a car so they can locate your vehicle. And, and it works and works really well. I think for some people, that would be a very good um a product, particularly like if you are a salesman and you carry samples in your car, mm-hmm. you have one-of-a-kind things in the car, the car itself may be less valuable. Uh, also, collector cars, one-of-a-kind cars are very good for those kinds of things. But most cars these days, have, you know, the theft rates are going down. They're making cars harder to steal. Um, pretty much you have to get the keys to steal them these days. Uh, so additional alarms and other theft devices, um, that's something that, um, you know, again, it's a high profit item for the dealer. Right. And, you know, you really need to think carefully about whether you need that. Um, very often what I do is I encourage people to look back over, the, you know, your ownership of cars. How many cars have you had stolen? How many have been broken into? Do you live in a high crime neighborhood? You know, that those things might push you to, to buy it. Um, so that kind of covers the theft. And, and then you have the kind of the appearance um, products. Uh, you mentioned paint protection. I think that rust protection is something I haven't come across very often lately. Uh, one of the things about F&I rooms is they're always coming up with new products. Floor mat also- protection. Oh, I just made that up. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was about to ask how much they cost. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, the, the paint protection and then um, fabric uh, tire warranties. Yeah. Well, yeah. Now, now, wait, I, I mean, here I have to say in the Chicago area, this is now a pothole heaven. And yeah. uh, the claims against the city of Chicago have gone way up for uh, damage from potholes. And, and it's not sure if or when you ever get reimbursed you know, by the city. But uh, so that is something that, and, and on luxury cars like a Mercedes or BMW, replacing a tire and wheel can push a thousand bucks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, my colleague bought a brand new BMW two years ago and bought a two thousand dollar. I think it was a tire warranty wheel and door dings or something like that. Two thousand. That was two thousand dollars. Yeah, Whoa. and um, 
she's determined to get her money out of that. And she's, had, <laughs> and she's, she's, she's had the car back a, a number of times. Okay. And uh, it but, feels that it was a good purchase for her. But, but you know, those, uh, those luxury wheels get curbed really easily. Get what? The luxury wheels that the, get curbed. What do you mean, curb, curb, damage uh, by running into a curb? You know, w- when you're parking it, you know, it's very oh. easy if you come close, too close to the curb. Yeah. To, and it just grinds the, you know, the heck out of them. Yeah. Uh, would that be covered, do you think, by one of those? Yeah. Okay. That's what it's for. All right. Yeah. You know, it, it sounds like what you're, you're saying here about just about all these things is that, yeah, they, they all, they may have some value, but, you need to do a little shopping, and it sounds like, you know, basically, whatever the dealer is offering you in the F&I office, you might be able to find for less somewhere else. Am I right? That's, tr- th- th- that's true. Now, the big thing, and a lot of people do this, again, there's the financing, because you can throw everything under the low-interest financing. Right. Secondly, so many people, it's a big build-up, you know, to that moment where they buy the car, and they want everything done. And, you know, if you buy through a dealership, they also register the car, they take care of your trade-in, and then you're just totally done with, with everything for oh, another it's, it's, it's very cycle. Con- it's very convenient, but with most yes. conveniences, including this one, you pay for it. That's true. And if, if, you know, I sort of like the fact that some people say, I know I'm paying extra, but it was worth it to mm-hmm. me because of the convenience. Um, I just don't like the people that get kind of caught unprepared and then go through buyer's remorse. Right. Afterwards. Right. What about gap insurance? Guaranteed auto protection. Is that something that is worthwhile at least investigating? Uh, yes. Well, now, gap insurance is interesting because you have to have it on a leased vehicle. Um, but more and more these days, people are buying cars with zero down. And if you um, don't put in any down payment on the car, you are in danger of possibly being, like if the car's totaled in the first year or so of ownership, there could be a gap in between what the, you owe the bank and what the insurance company ah, will pay. Ah. Yeah. So, no, so, so, but it's easy to yep. get into that deal, but the depreciation is faster than your ability to pay anything towards the principal. <laughs> exactly, and uh, that's why um, our parents always told us to put twenty percent down on a on a car purchase, is because you're basically prepaying the first year of uh, depreciation, so that uh, you're never upside down. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I saw something a few months ago that. Something on the order of 26 or 27 percent of uh, trade-ins for new vehicles or newer vehicles, the owner was upside down on the trade-in, and they're getting a new one. Yeah, right. Ah. Probably putting the negative equity into the new loan. Yeah, that's why we're getting seven and eight-year loans. I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. why we had a big bubble burst six years ago. Yeah, I'm rather surprised that you, you said that a lot of people are buying cars with zero down, or maybe they're leasing. Or is it buying, too? Uh, buying also, yeah. Huh. Um, well, I think that our expectations and our feeling about what we deserve has uh, changed over the years. You know, it used to be that uh, a vehicle was um, reliable transportation to get to your job and serve the needs of your family. But now it's considered to be, you know, in a personal st- statement about your, you know, your worth as a person, at least in Los Angeles where I live. That's oh, my. what people think. No, no wonder people are looking at me funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've noticed that in particular people coming right out of college, you know, they want an Audi or BMW. They don't want to. <laughs> The old clunker, you know, it's like, uh, well, what do you buy once you've made it? You know, you've already gotten the big thrill. 
Geez, uh, my, <laughs> my, my son just got out of college, and so far he hasn't mentioned that. Okay, uh, good. Well, uh, he's got his head. He was raised well. I'll, I'll keep my fingers <laughs> uh, uh, crossed on that. Well, um, when we uh, we have to pause for one more break here, uh, uh, Phil, and when we come back, I'd like to just talk about how the F&I process has changed, if at all, in, say, the last, you know, since you uh, started writing for Edmunds.com. So when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Philip Reed, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com, on how to prepare for the F&I aspect of buying a vehicle. This is Cars, Trucks, and Bucks on TalkZone.com. Back to Rick Popley. My guest today is Philip Reed, the Senior Consumer Advice Editor for auto information site Edmunds.com. Phil has written dozens of articles for Edmunds on how to save money and make smarter decisions about buying and owning a vehicle, which is something we try to do here as well. We've been talking about the finance and insurance department at car dealerships, which some consumers liken to walking into a minefield. But today, with Phil's help, we're advising on how you can prepare for the F&I office and make well-informed decisions. And if you want to join the discussion, call us at 888-463-6748. Again, that is 888-463-6748. Phil, uh, uh, one other topic I wanted to ask you about is spot delivery. I keep seeing stuff from this. I know the uh, Federal Trade Commission warns against it. The uh, Illinois Attorney General mentions it as well. What is spot delivery and what's wrong with it? Well, if you're in a car dealership on a weekend, and most of the business does happen on the weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, there may not be full access to banks to get final approval on loans. And if you have a... um, um, sort of mid-tier credit or, or uh, even lower, uh, they may sell you a car provisionally. In other words, if we can get it financed, um, it's it's your car, but they let you take the car. Mm. So that's where the sort of on, on the spot, I guess, is, is the idea. And uh, in some fairly rare cases, they may have to call you and say, you know, we, we couldn't get you approved for a loan, so you need to bring the car back to us. Now, it's one of those things where when it's used properly, it's a convenience both for the uh, customer and for the, uh, for the, for the dealer. But in some cases, there have been some cases where it's been abused. And, uh, it also is, is, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. And in fact, I've been told by car salesmen, it's their least favorite part of the process because in some cases they have to call and say, you know, you need to bring that car back. And it's kind of an emotion, emotionally wrenching experience because yeah. they may have already showed it to their neighbors and so on. And, uh, all of a sudden they have to give it up. Hmm. So you have to be aware, in most cases, you may actually be uh, signing a document, even without knowing it, that you will be willing to bring the car back if it doesn't get financed by a lender. Which I think, you know, that's easy to do is sign it and not know it, because there's something like 20 things you have to sign when you buy a car. There's there's quite a few things, and there's uh, seems to be getting more every time I buy a car. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Has the... um uh, F&I process improved since you first wrote the uh, Confessions of a Finance Manager article, I think it was about five years ago? 
Um, well, I, I think in some ways it, it may have improved slightly. I know that dealerships these days are very well aware of the fact that people don't like how long it takes. And the way that most dealerships are set up, they may have only two F&I guys, but they have like, you know, 12 or 14 sales guys. So on the weekends, you know, it can really stack up and there's a long wow. wait. So they've tried to expedite the process uh and and that's been a good thing that they're aware of that and kind of working on it there's a dealership that we've heard of that uh, promises to get you in and out in 45 minutes which is pretty ambitious wow. it seems yeah yeah so um so that's something that they have really improved on, on the other hand more pressure's been been putting on been put on F&I to to keep profit flowing through the dealerships. So that means probably more more selling. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- that's probably not a good thing for most people. Yeah, kind of sounds like a uh, a Jimmy John's commercial gone wrong, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean yeah. if they if they're trying to shorten the time and sell you things, boy, that's got to be uh that's got to be fast-paced, you know? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, some dealerships, I've, I've seen this come up recently, and I believe CarMax uh, also uses this practice, and that is that to let the salespeople handle the F&I transaction so that the same person that you deal with when you uh, arrange to buy the car is the same one who arranges your loan and also tries to sell you uh, these extra items. Does that change yeah. anything for consumers? Um, I think it's more generally more popular. when. People build a relationship. They like to preserve that relationship, and the longer they preserve it, probably the more trust that they give mm-hmm. uh, to to that person. Um, but with, with the F and I, kind of um, it kind of violates that in a sense because um, you know you've gotten to know your salesman, you're comfortable salesperson, you're comfortable with him or her, and then all of a sudden you have to be in a new relationship with the finance manager, and it, and most consumers don't like that as much as they like sticking with a, a known quantity. And we have to, you know, very quickly add, too, that CarMax has been uh, tremendously successful with their sales model. Um, they're opening stores all the time in, in more and more cities. So, um, yeah, I would say that most most people find that to be a user-friendly way to sell um, and close the deal. I think that'll be uh, kind of a, a trend for the future, that more dealers will use that approach? I haven't seen any indication of that happening mm. yet. I do know that there's so much competition and there's a lot of dealers that are always, the innovative dealers are always looking for new ways to do things. Now, there is within most dealerships uh, something called the uh, Internet de- Department, and sometimes these people are fairly um, high-ranking salespeople that can do the F&I process also. Um, so in that, that might be sort of a minor trend that if you go through the Internet, you'll also get those guys to be your F&I people too. Now, one of the uh, uh, things I came across recently, this is uh, from Automotive News, a trade publication that does a lot. Well, it's aimed at dealers. And uh, here, here's one of the things that they, they have tips on uh, on selling and making money for dealerships. And one of the recent ones uh, was from a F&I trainer who said that, you know, when you're talking monthly payment, most uh, people do, unfortunately, I think, buy by based on a monthly payment. They, you know, they have something in mind, say 350 bucks. And so, uh, if you sell them an extended warranty that adds 50 bucks, say, well, now your payment's 50, you know, $400. And they said, no, you don't do it that way. Instead, you just say, you know, it's just $50 a month. 
for this uh, yep. great protection. I mean, it's right. just uh, there. There are different ways of presenting it that make it hard to keep track of what you're actually spending. Because you know, fifty dollars a month on a sixty-month loan is three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, and that's true of leasing, too. So if they can bump you even $10 more monthly payment on a lease, it can be quite a bit of added profit. Um, it doesn't doesn't feel like it hurts, but in the long run, it, it, it will kind of bleed you. Um, but, uh, yeah, you have to be very careful about that, and we don't necessarily recommend that consumers negotiate on monthly payment because it obscures the purchase price of the car. Um, now, there's all kinds of calculators, so if you were to come to our website or any of the automotive websites, you could pick the purchase price of a car, put it into the monthly payment calculator, choose your interest rate, and generate a monthly payment so you can have a pretty good ballpark idea of what it is that you should be paying, and this will help you quite a bit when you go car shopping. But probably the best advice is get pre-approved and then negotiate as a cash buyer. What's probably easily uh, a slippery slope and, and easy to get on when you're in a dealership is that uh, as you buy, a say, a more expensive model than you originally planned, you start adding things like an extended warranty and these other F&I products, is that the payment creeps up. And so they say, well, instead of taking a loan for six years, we can you know, stretch it out to seven and you keep your payment the same. What yeah. about that? I think that happens a lot. Uh, well, we don't recommend taking a purchase loan for anything over five years. Oh, really? And the, yeah, there, there's a number of reasons for doing that. I mean, you, you, if, when you extend it, of course, then you're paying a lot more interest because mm-hmm. you're just spreading it over a much longer period of time. But there's another sort of a psychological aspect to it, which is that around five years, you know, that car's going to be showing a lot of wear and tear. So if you're carrying a heavy car payment, your motivation to keep up with the payments is going to be difficult. Uh, you're going to feel like that car is just about ready for, you know, why am I paying $450 a month on a car that's, you know, full of dents and dings and right. has lost its luster? luster and right. Its, five, uh, five, six, excuse yeah. me, five, five, six years might also be where you start replacing things like tires and other stuff and have, you know, repairs you didn't have before. Yeah, I mean, in fact, uh, one of the biggest service visits that you'll make is around seventy-five to eighty-five thousand miles, and it's a very expensive visit and to get it ready for sort of you know the next uh, part of its life. Plus, if you go over a hundred thousand miles, now you're looking at a fairly big drop in in the value of the vehicle. So you don't want to be paying a high monthly payment while you're still going through all of those things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, we we say that if you're leasing a car, it should be no longer than three years. If you're buying a car, no longer than five years. Okay. One of the things that you ghost uh, were the ghost writer for the article on Edmunds.com, Confessions of a Finance Manager. Yes. One of the uh, things in there that I thought was very uh, a very good point is that this former finance manager said, with a little bit of knowledge and some preparation, an unscrupulous finance manager won't be able to hurt you. Yeah, Uh, that's true. So uh, get ready, do some preparation and some research before you go. Yeah, um, 
you know, and really decide what works best for you. Um, also, in that article, we talk about the way that things such as extended warranties are sold. For example, if you keep your cars for a long time, the finance manager will say, well, then this is going to work out really well for you. That, that then that's a good point. You know, if you're going to be keeping it five or six years, um, then the extended warranty might be good for you, but they don't tell you that you could buy it later. Right. You know, that's, that, that, yeah. that's one thing. Um, but the other thing is, is if you've done a little bit of preparation, you'll know what a fair price is for that, for that extended warranty. So you could buy it at the time at a good price and they would still make a commission uh, and a profit and you would get something of value. Philip Reed of Edmunds.com has been with us today, and I just want to say the closing line, I believe it was, in in that article on confessions of a uh, finance manager was, choose your dealership carefully. And this man, former manager said, there are good people in the car industry. Find them and give them your business. I well, thought, I'm glad you read that line because yeah. I've been amazed by the professionalism of, of the good people out there. Right. And, and they get lots and lots of repeat customers and work very hard. So uh, I, I stand by that. I think that's good advice. Okay. Thank you, Phil, for spending time with us today on the show. Pleasure to be with you, Rick. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye. That was Philip Reed, Senior Consumer Advice Editor for Edmunds.com. You can find more written by Phil on Edmunds.com, and we are almost out of time for this week. Next week, the topic will be Grand Theft Auto, not the video game, the real thing, as in when somebody swipes your car and you never see it again. My guest will be Frank Scafidi of the National Insurance Crime Bureau. He will share what car thieves are looking for these days, what happens to most stolen vehicles, what you can do to prevent your car from becoming the next Hot Wheels. That's next week on Cars, Trucks, and Bucks, when we will steal a look at the reality version of Grand Theft Auto. Until then, please visit my website, carstrucksandbucks.com, for news updates and vehicle reviews. And don't forget, April is Read Your Owner's Manual Month. Thanks again to today's guest, Philip Reed of Edmunds.com, And thanks to you for listening. This is Rick Popley saying, be careful out there and watch out for the other guy. So long, everyone.